You're listening to a message that was recorded live at Roots Community Church in Costa Mesa, California. Roots exists to celebrate the glory of God through lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about our community, visit us at rootschurch.net. Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 1 to verse 14. Jesus is preaching, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Verse 6, do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them under feet and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Verse 13, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. This is God's holy word. Please be seated. We are continuing now in our study of the Gospel of Matthew, and we return again to Jesus' own sermon on the mount. You'll remember that Jesus began his sermon with a description of the character of a Christian. That is the inward posture of the heart of one who follows Jesus. Jesus then moved from character to conduct. He went on to show how Christians are to impact and influence the world that they live in. And he used the illustrations as salt and light. Salt to fight back moral decay, and of course, light to bring illumination to a dark world. And we said at the outside of this sermon that these major themes, character and conduct, are not just the opening themes of the Sermon on the Mount, but indeed permeate through the whole of Jesus' sermon. This whole sermon is about the character and the conduct of a follower of Jesus. What is the inside stuff of a believer? And how are they to conduct themselves in light of the gospel? We've seen these themes carried out in various ways through the sermon, from how we ought to practice our righteousness before others, our praying, our fasting, our giving. We've we've heard character and conduct fleshed out as we are to treasure God above all things, trusting that our Heavenly Father will give us all that we need and not to be anxious. This entire sermon has centered around both the character and conduct of a Christian. And now in our section this morning, these themes continue in full display. 
But although these themes are not new, they remain the same. Jesus continues to turn this diamond of Christian ethic to show us new and surprising facets and applications on how we are to pursue the inward righteousness that Christ has given us through the gospel and how we are to conduct ourselves in life. The words from Jesus this morning are some of the most familiar words in all of the Bible. Even those who are not familiar with the Bible at all, haven't even picked it up ever, are familiar with this section of the Bible. Judge not, lest you be judged. Uh, Take the log out of your eye before you take the speck out of another's eye. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Of course, the golden rule. And narrow is the path that leads to life. These are familiar words from our Lord. And although they are familiar, I pray that these words will find new soil in our hearts as we seek to live lives that spread the aroma of Christ wherever we go. I want to begin our time with this metaphor, these narrow paths that Jesus gives at the end of this section, verses 13 and 14. And I want to begin here because verses 13 and 14 compel us to make a decision about Christ. We're nearing the end of his sermon. Jesus is the greatest preacher who ever lived. And he's not going to let us off the hook with this sort of ambiguity, this sort of gray area. What do I do with Jesus? No, there's no ambiguity with Jesus. There's no gray area. There is this path or there is this path. There is the path to life and there is the path to destruction. And so he ends this portion of of the sermon with this, this, this decision that he's wanting his listeners then and now to make about him. And so I want these two paths to be before us as we move through the rest of this content. So look at verses 13 and 14 with me. Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. For the, for the gate is wide and the way, that is the path, the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way, the path, is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Very simply, Jesus is saying the way of self-interest, the way of self-preservation is easy. It's easy. But the way of love, the way of Christ, is hard. A hundred pass by, but only one stops to help. The picture is clear enough. As another writes, there are two gates, two roads, Two crowds, two destinations. One ends in eternal darkness and the other eternal life. That is all. Every human being comes down to walking one of these two ways. Every human being. There's no third option. There's no D, all of the above. There's only two. And as Jesus nears the end of his most famous sermon, again, he wants to compel his listeners to choose a path. Do you want to go the way of self-interest and self-comfort? That path is wide and easy, and there's a lot of people on it. Or do you want to go the way of perpetual need for your heavenly Father, 
and love for your neighbor. That path is hard. And there are few on it. The first path requires nothing. You just go with the flow. Feed yourself. The first path requires nothing, but will in the end cost you destruction. The second path costs you nothing, but will require more than you can offer in and of yourself. And so the question before us as we have this metaphor now in front of our minds and hearts is what path do you want? What path do you want to follow? The wide and easy or the narrow and the hard. So two points as we move through this content. Two points this morning. First, the narrow path of Christian ethics. The narrow path of Christian ethics. That's point one and point two, how to walk it. The narrow path of Christian ethics and point two, how do we walk this narrow path? Point one, the narrow path. Look at verse one and two again. Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, and with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. This without question is the unbelieving world's favorite portion of the Bible. It acts as a sort of force field around someone's life decisions. Everyone in this room, I can imagine, at one point or another has heard another person say, hey, hey, bro, judge not, lest you be judged. It's kind of this sort of get out of jail free card for your conscience. Judge not. Or I thought Christians weren't supposed to judge. I've heard this from more Christians than non. Of course, these verses taken out of context get all sorts of misnomers and misinterpretations. The problem is, of course, that verses 1 and 2 of Matthew 7 in their context are not communicating to Christians that we cannot make moral judgments of others. This is not what Jesus is saying. In fact, in the immediate verses that follow, Jesus is going to encourage Christians to make moral judgments about others. Dogs and pigs, unbelievers, don't cast your pearls before swine. He's going to have Christians make moral judgments about logs in their eyes and specks in others' eyes. This is not a section about not making moral judgments of others. This is not what Jesus is communicating. We are to make moral judgments. We are to test fruits. We are to advocate in society for a way of life that leads to flourishing. We are to make judgments. In context, then, listen, Jesus is giving his disciples instruction on how to treat their brothers and sisters in Christ who have sinned or are sinning. This is instruction to the church. Verses 1 through 5 is instruction for the church. And he's saying to the church, do not have a condemning posture or an attitude toward a fellow sinner in the church. Do not 
jump to the conclusion that you see a fellow sinner who has sort of got some besetment or weakness. Don't jump to the conclusion that they are therefore outside of the family of God. If you see somebody that's caught in sin, don't rush to that judgment. He says, if that's your posture, then that is the judgment that will come back to you when you fail and when you fall short. Well, you might say, well, what do we do then? If we see somebody that's caught in some serious sin, are we supposed to just sort of passively let them go and ruin their lives and hurt others? What are we, what are we supposed to do? Is that what Jesus is saying? Judge not. If you see somebody acting out, don't say anything. What, what, what are we to do? Well, no, the Christian ethic is not a passive ethic. Christians are not to be passive. We are active. But there's a way in which we pursue. There's a way in which we act that is otherworldly. It's different than the, 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 the ethos of our world. What does it look like? Well, look at verses 3 and following. This is the same context. Jesus says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? So now this is church context. He's talking to the church. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's or your sister's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. There is no doubt in my mind that Jesus had a sense of humor. This is one of those texts that makes that perfectly clear to me. Because the the imagery that he is painting here is ridiculous. If you you can just imagine somebody with two by fours sticking out of their eyes, trying to help somebody get the sawdust out of their eye. Right? That's the imagery. Hey, you got some sawdust in your eye and they're just knocking over TVs and chairs. Let me let me help you with that. That's the imagery. And it's funny. It's laughable, right? You can imagine how foolish this would look. And so Jesus says, listen, that is what it is like from the view of heaven when you try to help your brother or sister with with their sin when you have not taken the time to consider your own failings. That's how ridiculous it is from heaven's view when we don't take time to consider our, our, our own failings and we go speck hunting. It's laughable. It's ridiculous. But it's not only ridiculous, it's incredibly hurtful, isn't it? So that's the negative command. Don't speck hunt when you've got two by fours coming out of your eyeballs. That's the negative command. But then Jesus doesn't leave us with the negative command. He also gives us a positive command. Look at verse 5 again. You hypocrite. First... Take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Notice Jesus doesn't say, once you've discovered the log in your eye, don't you dare try to help other people with their specks. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, again, Christian ethics are not passive, they are active. But notice, once you have the log out of your own eye, now you'll feel a different way, won't you? 
you'll still be concerned about the speck in your brother or sister's eye because that speck can cause damage if it's left there, infection and all kinds of stuff. But once the log is out of your own eye, now there's a whole nother side of compassion and empathy and gentleness. Your tone changes from, hey, let me, can we talk? Can we grab coffee? I want to talk. It changes from that to, brother or sister, I know what it's like to struggle with sin. In fact, these are things that I am currently struggling with now. And I see this in you, and I'm more like you than unlike you. Can I help, can I help you walk this out? Can I help you walk in repentance? So both are confrontive, but both have two different tones. Once you've looked, you've stared in the mirror, and you went, oh, man, there's a log. There's a two-by-four in my face. Your tone changes. And that's exactly what Jesus is after, not passivity. But gentleness, Galatians 6.1, if anyone is caught in any transgressions, you, you who are spiritual should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Why? Because you know you're capable of the same things as they are. But this is a narrow path. This is a narrow path. It is a hard road. It is a narrow gate to look into the mirror and discover logs in your own eyes. It is hard to do that. It is far easier, look at me, it is far easier to gossip. It is far easier to pontificate about others' unholiness, sort of armchair quarterbacking somebody else's life. That's easy. The world does that perfectly. But the narrow path is to stop your flesh from going there to going before the Lord and saying, Lord, search my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. And then he reveals that and you repent of it. That's, that's a whole nother road. That's a narrow road. That is hard to walk. As Henry Nouwen writes, quote, only wounded healers have the right to heal. You don't have any right to go up to somebody and point out their flaws if you have not been wounded by your own. Take the log out. The narrow road requires restraint, doesn't it? One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. Restraint. Waiting. Not rushing to conclusions, but restraint. Well, there's another kind of restraint that Christ advocates, and it feels like it comes out of nowhere. I don't know if you guys caught that in the reading, but verse 6 just feels like it comes out of, from Mars to planet Earth. Look at verse 6 again with me. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, what on earth is the connection between the speck and log ethic in verses 3 through 5, and now this dog and pig proverb in chapter 6. It's a proverb. What's, what's the connection? You're like, I don't know. You're the preacher. You tell me the connection. I think the connection is restraint. I think that's the connection. Remember, we're talking about the narrow road of the Christian ethic 
It takes no restraint to call out people's sins without considering your own. And here, Jesus is calling his disciples to a sort of evangelism restraint. What do I mean? Jesus is not saying that we should restrain our gospel witness to the unbelieving world, dogs and pigs. He's already called us to be salt and light. In chapter 28 of Matthew's gospel, he's going to call us to go to all the world. He's going to commission every Christian to testify of the saving gospel of of Jesus Christ. Instead, as I understand it, Jesus is saying to earnest Christians eager to make Christ known outside of the church, he's saying to eager Christians, do not force feed the gospel to those who do not want to hear it. Casting your pearls before swine is not evangelism, is not sharing the good news. We're all called to do that. Casting your pearls before swine is force feeding the gospel upon those who have already indicated they don't want to hear it. Dogs were scavengers. They're not cute and cuddly like they are now. In the first century, they were a nuisance. They were scavengers. They'd steal your stuff and eat your crop. It was not a good thing to be a dog in the first century. Now it's like the best thing in the world. This is like, right now it's the best thing in the world to be a dog. Not in, not in, like, not in the first century. Now we have like, we've got carriages for dogs that don't walk themselves, but we hold them and we carry them. It's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Dogs were scavengers, and of course, pigs were unclean. And therefore, they, they both represent two groups of people who simply do not want to hear the gospel. I don't want to hear it. They trample what is holy, and they, they scourge or they attack the messenger. And so Jesus says, use restraint. Use restraint in the church before you spec hunt, do some, do some mirror looking, use restraint, and use restraint when someone doesn't want to hear the gospel. Don't force it down their mouths. Now this goes for both individuals and society. The gospel, listen, the gospel of the kingdom is brought about through a conversion of heart. the inside of a man or a woman. The gospel of the kingdom comes secretly, quietly, and then suddenly. You know what this is like if you've been converted by the gospel. One day you didn't care what Jesus said or taught. And after your conversion, suddenly there's a hunger, there's a thirst There's a desire. It's from the inside. And then from the inside out, it begins to change your life. So the gospel is an inside-out paradigm. It's never to be forced upon someone from the outside in. That never works. We are always going to get cosmic pushback from that. Yes, we present the gospel. We share Christ crucified. Yes, we vote our conscience in society. We want to see our, our, our culture flourish. But if it is all rejected, then we must show restraint and not try to force our beliefs on someone or some entity. The militarizing of Christian evangelism is not a new thing. 
you look at church history, it's been a scourge on our history. When we have adopted the ways or the wisdom of the world and we took militant tactics to try to spread Christianity. Well, the Turks are doing it. And Islam, the Muslims in Islam is spreading like wildfire. Why don't we do that as the church? Allah 1100. It never works. Why? Because it is opposed to the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom is not one with swords and knives and guns. It's one through the quiet whisper of Christ crucified for sinners. It is not an outside-in paradigm. It is an inside-out. And here Jesus is reminding the church in this Christian ethic, do not force the gospel on anyone. Instead, walk the hard road of trusting God. Beloved, it is easy to get angry. It is easy to shout. It is easy to yell at our neighbors who keep putting up signs in their yards that we don't agree with. It's easy to get online and and make epithets and, and put people, it's easy to call everybody evil. It's easy to do that. It's easy. That's why everyone is losing their mind doing that. It's another road to show restraint. You share Christ, they don't want to hear it. Thank you for the opportunity to share Christ with you. Pray, trust God that he will deliver them. Trust God with our culture. Trust God with elections. That's hard work. I'm preaching to the choir. It's hard work, but it's a, it's a good road. It's narrow, but it's good. Now, so this is the narrow path. There are The category of Christian ethic is just incredibly, maybe it fills libraries. These are just two paradigms that Christ gives us. Restraint in the church when walking with fellow sinners and restraint with sharing the gospel to those who do not want to hear it. So that's point one, this narrow road of kingdom ethics. Now the question is, how do we walk this road? Because if we're all being honest, it is those easy and wide roads, I feel inclined many times toward those easy roads of just going with the flow, red-faced anger, running after, you know, all of that is just easy. So how? How do we walk this narrow path? I think the answer comes in verse 7 and following. Jesus says, after he gives this paradigm for kingdom ethics, Christian ethics, he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Verse 9, or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Now, what I just read 
is exactly what Jesus has been doing throughout his Sermon on the Mount. He lifts up a standard, a gate, a road that is too narrow for us and too hard for us. Why? In order to show us our ongoing need for him. How do we walk? This is an impossible road to walk, this narrow road. How do we do that? You come to the end of yourself and you go, I can't. And then Jesus says, exactly. Lord, how can I be cleansed from the logs in my own eyes? How can I graciously help others walk in repentance? How can I be free from the sin of hypocrisy? How can I know this time to, be restra- to show restraint towards those who reject the gospel? How can I walk this narrow road? And the answer that Jesus gives, ask for help and keep asking. Verses 7 through 11 is a metaphor for prayer. Ask, seek, knock. It's a metaphor for prayer. And I want you to notice the intensification in persistence in verses 7 and 8. Jesus says, ask, then seek, then knock. It increases with intensity. And I've shared this before, but my, my, my kids are a perfect example of this. They're not here. They're all sick, so I'll just put them on blast. But don't, don't tell them that I said this. They ask. So if it's math homework and they can't get a hold of mom or Alexa, they'll call for me. Dad, I need help. I'm number six. No answer. They'll get up, and what are they going to do? After their asking is done, they'll seek, right? And they go, Dad, and they're looking for me. And if they find a door, what are they going to do? Dad, I need help. It's an increasing growth in intensity, asking, then seeking, then knocking. And the question is, why do they have so much confidence, these four kids? Why do they have so much confidence to seek and ask and knock in order to get my attention? And the answer is in the relationship, right? It's in the relationship. They, I'm their father. They know that I will eventually care about their math problem. The relationship dictates the kind of access they think they have with me. And listen, the energy and diligence in finding their father is in direct proportion to the need they have. If the need is great, then the asking and the seeking and the knocking grows with intensity. And so it is with the Christian. The man or the woman who knows they are in spiritual need, they know that they hunger and thirst for righteousness. They want to walk the narrow road. I want to walk this. The desire is great. Then they will be the ones who ask and seek and knock with increasing intensity. They're aware of their need. Each of these actions indicates that the one asking, the one seeking, the one knocking lacks something in and of themselves and therefore is looking for help. Walking the narrow road 
is not about looking like you have it all together. That's what I used to think mature Christianity was. Acting like you have it all put together. The older I get, the more I pastor, the more I struggle with my own heart, the more I'm convinced that walking the narrow and hard road looks like embracing your need for God every step of the way. And it may and will look messy. And it will look disorganized at times. And it may feel like a disaster has come upon you. But the narrow road, beloved, is walked by those who are utterly aware of their desperate need for God. That's maturity. That's Christian maturity. I am utterly aware of my desperate need for God. It's not a stuffy, stiff-necked, prideful walk. It's a walk of beautiful dependence. And so I think that's what Jesus is saying. The mature Christian keeps asking. He keeps seeking. He keeps knocking. Why? Because we've been given hearts to know that behind the door is our Heavenly Father who actually cares, who actually wants to give good gifts to his children, who doesn't depend on Alexa when we've got a question. He cares about my daughter's health. He cares about lost jobs and broken marriages. He cares about scores in school. He cares and knows that money is hard. He cares about fears of death. He cares about uncontrollable worry and fear about the future. And so we keep asking and we keep knocking because we know our Father is on the other end. When nobody else is around, when we're on our bed and it's dark and silent, who is there? Jesus is saying, your heavenly Father is there. Look at verse 9 and following, this, this argument from the lesser to the greater. Only Jesus can rebuke you and encourage you in two sentences. Or which one of you, if his sons asked for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, would give him a serpent? If you then who are evil, ow, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask? This is the argument from the lesser to the greater. If evil fathers have the capacity to give good gifts to their kids, how much more will your Father, who is not on earth, he is not made of dust, but he is in heaven, how much more will he give to those who ask? But it gets even better. In Luke's account of this same sermon, Jesus defines what the good thing is that the heavenly Father gives to his children. Now, this is really important. I'm going to read this to you. This is Luke chapter 11, verse 13. Jesus says, this is Luke's account of the same sermon. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give 
the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. The Holy Spirit. That's a third member of the triune Godhead. This is God, the Holy Spirit, a person. Jesus is saying, listen, as we close, through prayer, when we ask, when we seek, when we knock, what do we get? God. We get God. That's the promise. That's the thing. That's the good thing that he will not withhold to those who ask him. God. The promise is not a new circumstance, a new feeling, less suffering. I wish it was. And we praise God when he lifts all of that. But that's not the promise that we get from the Sermon on the Mount. What will he not withhold? The Holy Spirit. He will not withhold himself. So how do we walk the hard and narrow road? Never alone. How do we walk the hard and narrow road? Never alone. We walk by faith in the God who is with us through my cancer diagnosis. Never alone. Through my kids' wonder. Though my kids wander from the faith, I'm never alone. For troubles and anxieties that are too deep for words, he is with me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, David says, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. How do rods and staffs comfort? You start wondering, a staff pushes you back in. (laughs) That's comforting. Why? Because he's behind you. He's behind you. I heard David Pallison on this actually yesterday. The end of that great psalm, Psalm 23. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. You would think goodness and mercy would be out front leading. But goodness and mercy are behind us. Making sure that we're walking the narrow road. Goodness and mercy. God's right and left hand. His rod and his staff bringing us back into the fold. Behind us. He's before us, yes. But he's also behind us. How do we walk the narrow road? With God. The Holy Spirit. Clinging every step of the way. I wish there was an autopilot to Christianity. I wish that you could just, I could say, once you hit a threshold of knowledge, Mike said this on Friday, right? Doesn't matter how long you walk with Jesus, there are always going to be challenges, struggles. You're always going to feel like you don't have enough stuff to get it done. But what I hope that we're learning Every step of the way is that God is sufficient for these things. He is the God who is there. He's not just way out there going, come on, come on, I'm waiting for you. He's behind you every step of the way. So with all the strength that God supplies, may we walk humbly in here as we help each other walk in repentance. May we look in the mirror before we go to help others. 
May we show restraint to those who do not want to hear our gospel. Boldness to proclaim it, yes, but restraint when it's rejected. And may we embrace the gift of our perpetual need for God every step on this narrow road. All for his glory. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the invitation through your Son to keep seeking you. You don't play hard to get. You don't play hide and seek. You are with us. Oftentimes, Lord, our fears and failures get in the way of those realities. Would you help us through your word now to have a vibrant and clear perception of your nearness to us? Would you do this for your glory and would you do it for our joy until we are with you at home in your arms finally and fully. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.